Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. You guys can grab a seat. I was actually raised Greek Orthodox, and it was at a church that was all in Greek, so literally I didn't hear any of it growing up. But my faith journey with with Christ came later on in life, and there were a number of people that played a role in helping me understand or see the gospel as a whole, but there was one individual in specific that he was incredibly transformative in my life. He he not only pursued me and, and loved me and trained me, he also... They corrected me and helped me see what truth was. Like, this was someone that was so impactful in my life that honestly, today, standing here, like, a lot of the things I understand and a lot of the truths that I've rested in are because of the time that this individual had spent with me over the years. Just an incredible person. I'm sure every single one of us have someone like that in our life. We have someone that, that has spent time to pursue us, spent time to, to teach us what God's word is and to push on us, or maybe they've, they've chased after you. For me, that was some of my journey. I kind of had an emotional response to Jesus in high school and then kind of walked away, and this same individual pursued me and pulled me back in and, and, and really, really asked me to step in, in areas and ways that I was not comfortable doing at all, and it was, it was really, really fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that every single one of us have at least hopefully some individual like that. My, my hope would be that a lot of us are those individuals to other people as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. I would love for you guys to look on it with me. We've been in, in 1 Corinthians now for a bit. The last, um, last week, thank you so much for those of you that went out and served in the city. It was just, it's really fun to see and hear from nonprofits and community groups or gospel communities and a bunch of other individuals of all the things that we were able to accomplish uh, for Christ's glory last week. So thank you for doing that. If you weren't a part of it last week or you showed up here and you're like, where is everyone? That's what we were doing last week. Please Get in contact with us. We'd love to have you be a part of that. We can also help you connect with nonprofits to continue to serve throughout the month and the year without waiting for us to do that as well. But that's where we were last week. Two weeks prior, both uh, Danny and then John taught out of the rest of, of chapter one. Today's text is kind of a continuation of what both of them have said with a transition into where the Apostle Paul is going to go from here on out. But it seems a, a bit repetitive, but I'm going to do it anyways because that's what the Apostle Paul does. But this is really a really interesting section that's going to transition to what the Apostle Paul believes is one of the bigger issues in Corinth at the time. And he's going to kind of flesh this out a little bit right here, and then we'll spend a lot more talking about it next week. So read with me real quick, chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit and of power. And so I'm going to pause real quickly right there. The, the, Paul's mind of the Messiah is, this, is, is somewhat, somewhat of an oxymoron to most of the Jews in this day was the idea that the Messiah was someone to be crucified. That, again, Isaiah talked about it, and we see through the Old Testament scriptures the prophecies of it. But, but to most of the individuals in that day, when they thought of a Messiah, a king, they didn't think of a king being crucified. 
And so it seemed like that of an oxymoron. But the Apostle Paul, essentially in this section, kind of reiterating what Danny talked about a couple weeks ago and what John talked about last week, that the, this is the central fact of everything that the Apostle Paul is going to argue from here on out. Of all the answers that he's going to get back to the church of Corinth that were sent to him while he was in Ephesus, all those questions, all of his answers are going to be because of the fact that the Messiah was crucified. In fact, I wrote it down this way. God's wisdom is as much about how to live as what to believe. It's better to equate God's wisdom, verse 7 we see here, with the mind of Christ, verse 16, which we'll get to next week, and, take them, and to take them both to refer in context to the wisdom of the cross applied to everyday life. This is what the Apostle Paul has in mind in Corinthians. If you look at it, just listen to this. To Paul, a lack of true wisdom, a lack of understanding of, of the Christ crucified, a lack of this understanding brings, leads to other faults, especially sexual immorality and idolatry, the very things that Paul addresses negatively and positively in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8 through 10, and 11 through 14. In chapters 1 through 4, the wisdom of God is the recognition that the cross is the end of the world's power and wisdom and provides the basis for Christian unity. In chapter 5, the sacrifice of Christ, our Passover lamb, is the reason for purifying the assembly by moving the incestuous man. In chapter 6, righteous suffering instead of self-assertion is recommended with the implicit example of the crucified cross, Christ. Again, in 6, the redemption achieved by Christ is a major reason to honor God with your body. In chapter 7, being bought with the price is the reason to not become slaves, not become slaves of human beings. In chapters 8 through 11, it is because Christ died for our weaker brother that we imitate Christ and avoid causing our brother to stumble. Again in 11, the remembering of Christ's sacrifice for us reveals the utter unacceptability of behavior that demeans those who are members of his body. In these and other ways, wisdom may be defined by Christ and his cross. See, for the Apostle Paul, all of his arguments that he's going to push through, it begins and flushes out right here between Christ and the cross. This is the beginning of it. In fact, a lot of the division that's happening in the church, he's saying, is because of the, the misunderstanding of what Christ and the cross really means for us and how it plays out. And so he, he pushes on these individuals again and lays out again and says, look, I didn't come preaching you any kind of fancy words like the sophists that Danny talked about a few weeks ago, the orators of that day that were, that were like circuses arriving to town where everyone came in droves to listen to because they were so excited to hear about how these incredibly brilliant people would, would speak in such a way that would be so enticing and so wonderful to listen to, even if they were speaking about nothing at all. People were infatuated with this in this time. And the Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. I didn't come speaking to you this way. I didn't come speaking to you this way. In fact, I came speaking to you in, in fear and trembling, in weakness and fear and trembling. The weakness he's talking about is the weakness towards the Corinthians. The fear and trembling is towards God. He's not afraid of the Corinthian people. His fear and trembling is of God. In fact, that's a, that's a quote that's spoken over and over and over again in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is, is recognizing his weaknesses to the posture of the Corinthians. And why would he do this? Because such vulnerability stripped him of self-reliance. He approached them without asking for money and without asking for applause and without searching out for it and just spoke of Christ and the cross. Some scholars have argued that, well, the Apostle Paul wasn't that eloquent. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about how people are saying, look, the Apostle Paul is not much to see in person, but his writing is so deep and profound. It's not because the Apostle Paul was incapable of doing that. We already know he was trained he was, he was a shoe-in for the, Supreme, the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. This, this guy knew how to argue. He knew how to, to speak 
rhetorically. He knew how to do all of the things that were going on there. But the Apostle Paul chose to not do so. Why? Because it stripped him of self-reliance. Because for the Apostle Paul, he wanted to be characterized different than the Corinthian sophists that Danny talked about a couple weeks, the, the really brilliant orators that were coming through and speaking all the time. See, he was, he was looking for a way for him to be compared to them in a drastically different way. Not in the sense that maybe some of the people in Corinth were doing where they started dividing because they wanted to hear someone more profound speak like they did with Apollos and started saying, well, I follow Apollos or I follow Paul or I follow Cephas. Like, not in that way. He was trying to differentiate himself from them by saying, look, I'm not going to speak this way. I'm not going to come at it this way. In fact, all I'm going to do, which he says in in verse 3, is I'm going to speak to you out of the power of Christ. I'm going to tell you the power of the Spirit. What is this power? If it is the power of God manifest in the weakness and the death of Christ that inspires and sustains saving faith, then the way to reflect that power in our lives for the sake of others is to carry the death of Jesus in our own bodies. And this is what the Apostle Paul does. He speaks of the death of Jesus in his own self. He says, look, this is, this is who I am. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11, the Apostle Paul, speaking about himself, and, and, and after dealing with the fact that he's got... He's dealing with the thorn in his side and God's grace being sufficient, right? This is, he says, but we have this treasure. What is the treasure? It's the gospel. This treasure that we have is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. If you've ever held a jar of clay, they're fragile. Those are our weak bodies. We have this profound treasure, this gospel, this good news in these weakened bodies. And he goes on, he says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So that anything that comes across powerful is not going to be misconstrued by us because they see the weakness of our bodies. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, we must, we must die so that his life can be shown in us. The Apostle Paul is not afraid to speak that. In fact, verse 4, he says, instead of enticing clever words to win the audience and applause, Paul just uses, was the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Just the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's all he's doing. And how does Paul say that he's actually doing that? How does, how does Paul equate that he, that's the Spirit's power in what he's doing? Because he didn't try and convince them of that. No, he just rests on the conversion of the Corinthians. He says, look, I showed up. I was there for 18 months about. And it wasn't my eloquent words or me winning you over with, with elegance and, 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 fancy, and fancy oratory examples. It was, it was the power of the Spirit that transformed your heart. That's what I did. The demonstration of the Spirit's power is seen in the Corinthians' conversion as the Spirit applies the word of the gospel, Christ and him crucified to their lives. This is the evidence that the Apostle Paul says. He says, look, the evidence of that what is happening isn't me is the fact that true conversion is happening in you. It's a work of the Spirit of God. And he goes on, let's read in, in verse 6 here, or verse 5, sorry. It says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Yet among you, verse 6, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So this, this section can, has brought a decent amount of controversy in, in, in scholars. It seems like the Apostle Paul is laying out that there's kind of different versions of Christians, different versions of Christians that are in this section. He's saying, he's saying there's this mature Christian, and then they're seemingly immature Christians. What is, what is he lining out? Well, first off, 
if you remember, one of the things that the Apostle Paul was really pushing against was the factionalism that was happening in the church of Corinth. Right? It's the, it's the, it's the fact that, that people were trying to define other levels of factions that they were following. That's, that's one of the things that was happening here. So the Paul, Paul can't be dividing the church into spiritually mature and some lower tier of believers. In fact, from verse, chapter 1, verse 18 onward, he has insisted that there is only one division that counts in the church. It's between those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Between those who have the Spirit and those who don't. Between those in Christ and those not. So rather, the, the distinction between the mature and the immature is not about status, but concerns behavior in keeping with the secret and sanctified Christian identity. So what he's saying is, look, a mature follower of Jesus is someone that can hear the truth of Christ crucified and apply it to their daily lives because of what the Spirit of God has done in them. That's what maturity is. It's not just knowing truth, it's living truth, which is the same thing that Hebrews 5 talks about when he talks about spiritual babies and infants not growing in their sanctification process, not applying the words of God to your life and living them out. You're reading them and going, ah, it doesn't apply to me, moving on. That's, an, that's a sign of immaturity. And so he says to the mature, to those that recognize the, the cross of Christ, to those, to those that see what's happened here, we're preaching a wisdom of this age. It's not a wisdom of this age or rulers of this age, but it's a wisdom of God. It's, it's truth. Powerful. In verse 7, he goes on and says, and this is kind of the turning point, he says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. So in this section, when he says God decreed before the ages of our glory, to us, most of us, like, oh, that's neat. To, to the individuals he's writing to in Corinth, they were infatuated with the age of glory. They were infatuated with the end times. They were infatuated with what it meant behind them. They spent so much time thinking about that. And he's saying, look, the wisdom that we impart today about Christ and his crucifixion was a wisdom that came before the beginning of time. This isn't something new. This is something that we had planned all along. And to them, that would have been like, well, wait on a second. Wait, wait like from the beginning? This is, this, is a, this is a wisdom that, that transcends time. It's not of this age. It's not of a previous age. It's, 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 it's outside of time. He pushes on them and says, look, I've demolished, he's demolished the false wisdom that had in part led to the divisions of Corinth. Paul seeks to put a genuine wisdom in its place. And what is, what is this wisdom? He, he brings up mystery and testimony in this section. Depending upon which version you read, you see mystery or testimony. Both of those words, I think, work in this text. But both of those words are um, emphasized that what is conveyed in Christian proclamation is truth revealed by God and not human opinions. So whether it's a mystery or a testimony, it's revealed by God and not human. Mystery would be defined as, in the New Testament as a gift of divine revelation, and, and testimony refers to the content of what is witnessed to, the content of what is witnessed to. So that's, that's, what, that's what mystery and witness is. He's saying, look, this isn't hidden from people, but the foolishness of this world is what the cross of Christ preaches. They see it as foolishness. Why? Because those who do not have, who have not been called, will see the word of God as foolishness. It's not, it's, it's, it's only hidden from them in the sense that the Spirit hasn't opened their eyes. We're going to talk a lot about the Spirit next week and what his role in this is. And then the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, he says, he says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Lord of glory is a, is a really great title for Jesus. It, it's essentially is the, it's speaking of the grandeur of, of Christ, meaning that he is the Lord who is characterized by glory. I, I just love that. But 
he brings up this idea of rulers of this age. And so when he's saying, look, if he says, if the rulers of the age had this wisdom, if they had understood the, the Christ, the crucified Christ, if they, had, if they had recognized Jesus Christ in the cross, if this was a place, they wouldn't have even put him on the cross. Rulers of this age, there's some argument about whether or not that's just the religious rulers of that day or if that's speaking of demonic influence. And, and I think most scholars kind of land on the fact that it's, it both could apply there. So look, if they actually knew, if they understood, which the word understood, just so you know, the word understood is to know. It's not, it's not just cognitive thinking. It's actually the way of life. It's surrendering yourself to the way of life. Because many know about Jesus. They know of him, but they don't know him. And that's what chapter 1, verse 21 talks about specifically. It says to know him is not just, a, it's not just here. It's, it's to live it out in your day-to-day lives instead of actively opposing the message by crucifying the Lord of glory. So why does the Apostle Paul come back to this again after we've spent a good amount of time on it? I think there's, there's, there's probably a number of reasons, but I'm just going to highlight three of them. I think the first one is because for what we've already talked about, for the Apostle Paul, an understanding, a, a, a healthy and true understanding of the wisdom of God will deter sexual immorality and idolatry and, and divisions in the church and all the, all the other problems that he's going to. He says, look, this is what deters that. This is what keeps you from idolizing other things is a healthy understanding of Christ crucified. A, a, a true wisdom of God will, will remove false idols from your life because you wouldn't want to idolize anything else. A true wisdom of God would make you see the futility and divisions in the church. It's just, it's just, it, 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 in, in all a lot of ways, it just solves the rest of the problems. If you want to experience joy in life, that comes through the wisdom of God, understanding that it comes through Christ crucified. That is our way to salvation and joy and life. And we get that by him calling us, like John talked about two weeks ago. And, we, and how he does it is through his spirit, which we're going to spend next week talking about. In fact, I think the other reason why the Apostle Paul hits it here is because of the turning point in this. Because he spent a lot of time talking about, it's all God, it's all God, it's all God, it's all God. It's not man, it's not man, it's not man, it's not man. And then he goes, how does God do it? God does it through the Spirit, which to me is, is just brilliant. I understand why they said in 2 Corinthians 10 that he's, he's a brilliant writer, right? Because inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes about and entices out the Holy Spirit, which if we look at all the spiritual gifts and everything else are all done through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Everything good that we do is the Holy Spirit in us. So he's, he's making this turning point right here and he's, he's bringing out saying, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm bringing you the truth of God through the crucified Christ. And how he does that is through the Spirit. And so I think that's the second reason why the Apostle Paul comes back to the section. He's, he's, he's kind of teeing it up so that he can hit a nice old swing at the fact that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. And I feel like as a church, in this day and age, the Holy Spirit is, is scary for a lot of people to talk about. And the Apostle Paul says, look, I mean, if you think about it, this is a church in Corinth many, many years ago. They were struggling in understanding how the Holy Spirit played out. So I'm excited to dig into that. But the third reason... The third reason is because of a verse I skipped over talking about. It's verse 5. This is, the, this is what I think is probably the biggest reason as to why the Apostle Paul reminds them and goes back to this. Verse 5 says, So that, so right before that, I'm going to say 4. In my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. See, this is what I think 
the church is plagued with today. Remember that man that I, I mentioned that was so incredibly transformative in my life? If you met him today, you would see a guy that says there is no God, divorced his wife, left his two kids, and is living with a, a woman 20 years younger than him. When that news hit me, if my faith was in him, I've been rocked to a core. In fact, one of the things I hear more often than not in ministry is people that, that denounce Christ, that run from the church because of what an individual inside the church has done. Why? Because you put your faith in him or her and not God. We clamor for ideation and creativity and listening to, to sermons that are so powerful. We have podcasts that are, that are in droves on our phones because we love the way that this person speaks. And ultimately, are we following a man or are we following the crucified Christ? See, if my faith was in this individual, yes, it was hard. Believe me, there are theological things that I have hard times connecting in my, in my mind with this individual. I still love this man very much. And I still believe wholeheartedly that the Spirit used him in my life. But if my faith was in him, guys, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd run. Like, That's it. Another pastor, totally fake and failing. That's it. I, you know, I just give up. How many people do you hear that from? Because we as a church have done a really poor job, as the, as the greater church have done a really poor job of making this spot in our services about ideation and creativity and winning people over with great ideas instead of just resting in the crucified Christ. We've made it more about how fancy I can speak or if, it's, if you like me, if you don't like me. We've pushed to a level where we, instead of looking for the truth of God's word, we look for all the ways in which his people have tried to bring about ministries for us and all these other things, and they're not bad. It's not bad to ideate and be creative. And creativity is from God. He's given us that. That's a brilliant thing. But when we spend more time working on our creativity, we drown out the message of the cross in Christ. We have failed. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul comes back to you. He says, look, you're going to put your faith in men. And there's a, remember, they're arguing. I follow Paul. No, I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. They're arguing because of the, the rhetoric and the style in which those individuals are speaking. And he's saying, no, 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 you're missing the point. Apollo, Cephas, and I are not in opposition. We're all preaching the same thing. You just like a style. And if you follow that style too much, you're going to follow that person and believe that your faith is in that person. And when that person fails you, because they will, your faith will be really quickly realized that it's in man and not God. And our faith was never to be put in man. It was to be put in God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is pushing on. Should Christians seek to possess wisdom? Yes, as long as it's cross-centered. Absolutely seek wisdom, but it has to be a cross-centered wisdom. Do Christians with godly wisdom merit any special status? Not at all. But they will receive a greater praise on Judgment Day. We see that in 1, 26-31 and 3, 1-20 in this book. Wisdom is a gift from God. We discern because of what the Spirit has done in us. This is the personal side of it that we're going to get into. God isn't just standing there. He, he literally gets really personal, not just through Christ, but sending us the Spirit to live and indwell within us. Do you follow men or do you follow Christ? There's a wisdom that all Christians have by the mere fact that they have the Spirit living in them. But it is proper only when we yield ourselves to the Spirit rather than act in accordance to our flesh. I wrote this way in my notes. I feel like one of the larger problems that we see here isn't just that the church today still wants to be so creative in our message of Jesus that he can get lost in the ideation, but just as likely is that those that profess to follow Jesus are tired or bored of the wisdom of the crucified cross crucified Christ. We yearn and plea for more than this, becoming tired or bored of hearing about the glory of Jesus. We don't, we don't move past the cross. 
We never move on from the cross of Christ only into a more profound understanding of the cross. We don't run from that. So, so who are you following? Who is your faith in? Is your faith in man? This is, honestly, this is why there is so much division in the church today. Is because of this very point right here. People have, have followed men instead of God. We are commanded to pour into each other. In fact, like I said at the beginning, I hope that there are many people behind you that will speak about you in their life, how God used you to point them to truth. That is a beautiful thing. We're commanded to go and make disciples so we don't get to be hands-off in this, but we do so pointing people to the cross of Christ. We do, do so pointing to the fact that Christ, the Messiah, has to be crucified. It's, it's God's wisdom, not mine, to own. Anything that comes out of my mouth that is wise is the Spirit of God doing so. It is not me. So if you hold me up, you'll be sorely disappointed. If you minimize another brother and sister what they say, you're missing the very words of the Spirit of God. And to recognize that we have value to speak to each other. So I guess the few questions I would leave you with before we close. One is, are you seeing issues of division and sexual immorality or idolatry or an unhealthy understanding of, of communion with the Lord? Are, are you seeing these things in your life? If so, the Apostle Paul would contend with you saying, you, you've lost sight of the crucified Christ. You, you've, you've, kind of, you've moved past what he did for you on the cross. So I would, I would encourage you to, to wrestle with that, to, to repent of those things, to turn back to the cross. You, you know what's profound and beautiful? Is, and this is an old adage that many, many brilliant people before me have said before, so it's not original to me. But when the Apostle Paul talks, and Danny talked about this, he's like, look, he, he brings the wise, and, or, and, and John talked about this, brings the wise and the unwise to come. There's, there's, there's no, no, no similarity in that way. In fact, everyone is different. But you know what's incredibly profound is at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. We all enter at the foot of the cross on the same spot, broken, called by God, profoundly in need of, of, of grace and mercy and given it in a lavished form because of Jesus Christ's blood being spilled out on us. Whether we are wise or dumb, whether we're rich or poor, no matter what our nationality is, our race is, no matter what our socioeconomic static, status is, all of it's level at the foot of the cross. And the Apostle Paul says, look, that's where we need to sit. That's where we need to stay put. Don't leave that thinking you're, you're some brilliant person moving on to something else. In fact, what so many of us do today is we see some person destroy our understanding of God in the Scripture because of the, the, the failure in their life. And instead of turning to God and His Word, we turn to another individual. We go look into someone else. Well, this person will agree with me then, and I'll follow them. We're to follow the Lord. We're to search out, search out His wisdom. And yes, Yes, there are many people, including me, that will fail miserably in this spot to people. But I hope your faith is not in me. I always tell couples this in premarital. This is just free, free for you. Um, I always tell couples, like, you know, they always say, like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust this person. How do I know if I'm going to trust them? I'm like, you can't. You, you can't. you can't really trust an individual. You can trust the Spirit of God in them. And that's the best we can do. If they are Christ, trust that. Left on their own, they're very untrustworthy. And that's the same of this. 
well-meaning people will try to explain and create ideas and beautiful statements to try and draw people in this world into faith. But if we draw them too creatively and we drown out the gospel too much, we have to keep them with that. And the instant that falls away, the cross will seem so dull and so boring and so blah in their lives. And many of you, the struggles you're having in your life is because you've lost sight of the cross of Christ. You've, you've been drowned out by all other theologies and understandings and you're digging in deep to many different things. Well, this person failed me, so I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna swing the pendulum from, from this belief to this belief. And, and you, you kind of have run and It's not that those are, are bad, but if they're not cross-centered, you're gonna get in trouble. And if they're not first coming from the spirit of God, you're in immense trouble because all wisdom you have is not your own doing. It's not because you're brilliant. Because the Spirit of God has allowed you to understand these things. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. So I won't go there. Second reason why is I think um, many of us have a very unhealthy understanding of what the Spirit does for us. So the second thing I want to talk about is I want to challenge you guys is, is spend this week preparing your heart to hear from the Spirit. He is, he's alive. If you prof- professed and submitted your life to Jesus Christ, the Word tells us that He's indwelling you. In fact, the good works that were created beforehand, we see in Ephesians 2, are being lived out through you by the Spirit inside of you, not your own doing. So prepare your heart. Some of you need to spend this week and, and, and prepare your heart to hear that and to understand that and to ask for the wisdom of God to help you apply this to your life. And the third thing I would leave you guys with is, is some of you have been following man, and it's time for you to start following God. Some of you put way too much weight, and some of you this may mean like I am spending way too much time listening to how what everyone else says about God's word instead of me, myself, just being in God's word. Some of you, it's, it's man, I have I've spent, I have literally like this person, I used to joke about certain pastors, I'm like, oh, I totally asked that man into my heart because he's awesome. Like, it's an issue, okay? I've repented of it, right? But if we're true, some of us have that feeling about someone. They said something, we don't know anything about them. I don't know these people. I just know their podcast. Or I know where their website is, and I've seen their church. I don't, I've never interacted with this individual. I've never been able to shake this individual's hand or have a conversation or see how they love their wife or, or their, their husband or see how they interact with their children. I've never done that. So I caution you. I caution you to follow everything that they say, to put it through the scriptures and allow the wisdom of God to be what literally drives you. You don't have to do away with that. I think that's a profound blessing that we get to experience technology and, and listen to people all across the world. But don't lose sight. If you picking up your Bible and going, oh, this thing is just boring and blah and duh, you've missed the fact that this is literally the words of God brought to life through the Spirit of God, spoken and restored and saved for the children of God. These should be profoundly wonderful to us. And I understand there may be seasons where it's dry. I think it's probably because we've drowned out God's word with a lot of other sin in our life or because we've learned that the only way to listen to God's word is when it's been seasoned way too much by someone else. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship some more. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray for the individuals in our lives that have um, seemingly slipped away, fallen away, or or just denounced you. God, I pray that you would um, bring about a faith in them. Even for my friend, God, I pray that you would draw him to you. God, for the individuals in here that have been led astray by the faith, uh, by putting their faith in men or women, God, would you please help them to refix their eyes on the cross? What a profound time of year for us to be in this text as we culminate and think up to Easter and what that means and, and the resurrection of, of Jesus and how, how, we, how we see that through Good Friday and all that stuff. God, I just, I can't help but think you're trying to do something for this body where we could be focused in on the cross and not 
the division of men, focused in on the wisdom of God and not what man offers us, focused in on the ways in which we have idolized other things or, or given ourselves to sexual morality, all the things that, that we continually give ourselves to because of the fact that we've lost sight of the crucified Christ. Father, I look forward to seeing what your spirit does in us, your children, for your son's glory alone. Thank you for this time, God, for the individuals in here that are wrestling or beat up or um, tired. God, would you restore in them? Would you lay them down by green pastures? God, would you light their, their path? God, for the people that are here today maybe that don't profess in you, those that are here today that have, have maybe liked the idea of you or, or maybe they're somewhat hostile to you or even right now they're just questioning you as a whole. God, would you bring your pure and undefiled wisdom that comes from above like James says where nothing can defile that wisdom because it's yours and it's pure. Would your spirit work in the hearts? Would you, can, would you call them out? I would argue that if they're here today and they don't know you, you've already been calling them and they are listening. The spirit is drawing them to you and I pray for a surrender, a complete surrender. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you haven't proclaimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I challenge you, I encourage you to drop, drop your head, fall before the Lord and say, God, I need you. Please forgive me of my sins, God. Give me everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Let me be fixated on the cross. Let me be enamored by Jesus Christ and the cross and not enticed by men. And the scriptures say that you will have everlasting life and that he will finish the work he begins in you today. God, we praise you for the work you're doing in our life. We praise you for not giving up on us, proving your love for us through Jesus Christ and the cross. God, forgive us for, for becoming bored or tired of hearing about you Forgive us for looking beyond Jesus and the cross. God, I confess that there is definitely a desire in me to be liked by men, to, be, to want people to like what's happening here, and I pray that, God, I would never, ever get in the way of what you want to speak to your children. And if I have, God, please forgive me of that. Pray that we wouldn't be a people that follow men, but we'd be a people that are enamored with you. And in doing so, God, we would see that we are unified. We are one. There's one God, one spirit, one baptism. And we only get that through your spirit. We praise you for what you're doing. We pray all this in the Lord of glory's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.